Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, today, uh, we are so happy to have uh, these two writers here. Uh, what will happen is um, they will come up here together. Uh, Sarah will read a little bit. They'll interview each other. They'll talk with each other. And then we'll open it up for questions and answers. All right. So we're very happy to have Talia Gonzalez here. She's an actor and writer who studied at New York Tisch School. That's Talia. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> Uh, she's been paying attention to her writing, writing for um, MTV's uh, Teen Wolf and iZombie for the CW. Um, Sarah Saidi. This is where you applaud wildly. <laughs> Sarah Saidi was born in Tehran, Iran, smack dab in the middle of a war and, on, and an Islamic revolution. First novel for young adults, Never Ever, was published in 2016, and its sequel, The, La the Last Kids, was published in 2018. She has written for multiple TV shows, including The Goodwin Games and iZombie, and was awarded a Daytime Emmy for penning the ABC web series, What If? She resides here in L.A., um, with her husband. Is her husband here? Is your husband here? Yes, you know, I do always have to say, whenever the, hu whenever the spouse is around, we have to acknowledge the spouse, because, you know, <laughs> to, you know, living with a writer, I'm sure, is, you know. Um, and uh, the, the pug. Um, and I also want to say um, that um, I've, host, I've hosted over a thousand events in Los Angeles, really. Um, and since 2000, um, I don't think I've ever been to an event where they've actually served champagne here. So this is a real big, that's a big deal to serve champagne. So uh, please welcome Talia and Sara. Thank you. Hello. Can you guys hear me? So many friendly faces, and yet I'm terrified of all of you. Um, I guess I'm going to read to get that part over with. And um, yes, here we go. Introduction. Puberty is the equivalent of guerrilla warfare on your body. Society commonly refers to it as the awkward phase, but I've always preferred to call it the everything totally sucks and I hate my life phase. I, for one, don't miss 1993. That was the year I naively thought my biggest problems were my underdeveloped breasts, the cystic acne that had built a small colony on my chin, and the sad fact that my prettier best friend and I had set our sights on the same guy. Would our friendship fall apart over a boy? Would I ever outgrow my training bra? Would my skin ever clear up? These were the dilemmas that kept me up at night. Side note, these are the dilemmas that still keep me up at night, so that's super sad. <laughs> Except for the boyfriend part, luckily. Um, I thought there was no way my life could get worse, but I was wrong. What seemed like a mundane afternoon would go down in history as the day my world crumbled. 
My older sister, Samira, and I were hanging out in the kitchen, probably dining on our favorite light Entenmann's coffee cake. I worked on my homework while Samira poured over job applications for a dozen or so retail stores at the posh Valley Fair Mall in our hometown of San Jose, California. San Jose, represent. Um, <laughs> Our parents owned a small luggage business about a 40 minute drive away and they were never home before dinner time. And so the task of watching over my younger brother and me fell to my sister. But I was cool with that because in my opinion, an older sibling had two primary reasons for existing. Sister, can you actually stand up and say hi to everybody? That's my sister. So she had two primary reasons for existing. Uh, number one, expose their younger siblings to the harsh realities of the world. Number two, protect their younger siblings from the harsh realities of the world. Um, she also got me high a lot. I told, I, <laughs> I told her I was gonna say that. Um, but this story covers number one. Uh, I don't think my sister derived any pleasure from blowing my carefully crafted reality to pieces, but maybe she couldn't handle being alone in her teen angst. My parents told her things they thought I was still too young to know, but I was nearly 13 and it was time I learned the truth about our family. It was time I learned the truth about myself, and it was her duty in life to be the one to break it to me. No one will ever hire me, my sister said, frustrated. I'm never going to get to make my own money. I wanted to tell her that as long as she could keep her somewhat problematic attitude in check during a job interview, I didn't think she'd have a problem finding long-term employment. Sure you will, I reassured her. You already have sales experience working at the luggage store. That's different. I worked for mom and dad. All the stores at the mall want a social security number, she vented. Just so you know, that's exactly what she sounded like. Uh, this is like a Meryl Streep caliber performance right here. Um, at the time, I had never heard of the term social security number. So, I asked. So, I don't have one, she replied, and neither do you. Her response clarified nothing. Who cared if we didn't have social security numbers? We had a phone number and an address. What else did a person need to apply for a job? You're not getting it, Samida continued. The government doesn't know we exist. We could get deported at any time. I heard the words as they came out of her mouth, but my young mind didn't know how to process them. Deported? I had trouble reconciling the definition of the word with the fact that we'd been living in the Bay Area for 10 years. Like, they could send us back to Iran? Yes, she said. Even Kia, I asked. My brother was almost five years old then. He was objectively adorable. Why would anyone ever want to deport him? Kia, right there, yes, still objectively adorable. <laughs> um, no, my sister explained. He was born here, he's a citizen. That entitled brat. I glared at him, sitting in the next room, eating Oreos and watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, blissfully unaware that his sisters might get shipped back to the Islamic Republic. My anxiety tripled when Samira explained that not having a green card or a social security number also meant we were breaking the law simply by living in the United States. We're illegal aliens, she told me. This was before undocumented immigrants became the more commonly used and politically correct term. The words illegal aliens echoed through my head. Suddenly hormonal acne and microscopic boobs paled in comparison to the revelation that I was a criminal. And apparently an alien. How would I explain this to my law-abiding human friends? They'd probably 
want nothing to do with me once they learned I technically wasn't allowed to be living in the country. If this got out, I could lose everything. But when my parents came home that night, they assured me that no one was going to deport us. We weren't criminals or extraterrestrials. We were trying to get green cards. It would all work out and no one would have to go back to Iran. So we won't have to leave America, I asked. Nah, Baba, my dad said to me. This sort of translates to, no way, Jose. <laughs> but I wasn't exactly convinced. That night, when I went to bed, I was no longer worried about eighth grade love triangles or whether it was possible that clear assault was just an elaborate scam that gave insecure teens like me false hope. I was worried what my life would look like if I had to say goodbye to my friends and move back to Iran. My Farsi was rusty at best. Being forced to wear a headscarf would only accentuate my bad skin. I'd already been living in the United States for a decade. How would I ever adjust? My sister's warning stayed with me like a refrain through the rest of my teen years. We could get deported at any time. There was only one appropriate reaction. Holy shit. <laughs> Now it is, okay. Um, I'm gonna channel my inner Oprah and hopefully ask some good questions. I'm honored to be here. Uh, Sarah is a colleague of mine and a friend. And we've um, been working- like We're like best friends. We're besties, basically, we're like yeah. We're so um, <laughs> We've been working together for three years and she came to work with an advanced copy so I quickly snatched it up and- I just walk around with advanced <laughs> copies. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I read it you know, in one go and I laughed and I cried and I laughed and I kept texting her and it was such an amazing, I mean, I love Sarah and then to know about her in the teen years and her childhood, it made me want all of my friends to write a memoir so I could know about them before I met them. Um, but my first question to you is, um, you know, it's such a daunting task to write a memoir. There's so many stories from childhood and your teen years. How did you go about deciding what you would put in the book? And, um, you know, was there anything that you had to leave out because there just wasn't enough, you know, room to fit it all in? Yeah, I knew, luckily, where I wanted it to start. I wanted it to start with me finding out that we were undocumented, and then I wanted it to end with becoming a citizen. So it was nice to just know what the bookends were. And then, really, it was um, with the help of my editor to decide what made sense to keep in, what made sense to take out. A lot of like my tangents about boys I liked in high school and like <laughs> dating stories. Riveting. She's like, I don't really think this is relevant. I was like, I think this is extremely relevant. <laughs> um, but so there was things like that that we took out and then there were some things too like about my family where um, I felt like it wasn't really my story to tell it was more that person's story and so uh, there were things like that that I included in the book and then as I was going through the editing process I decided I'm like that person should write a memoir about that it's not really for me to include those things. Um you'll all read the book, but perhaps you could whet their appetite with maybe just one of your most favorite anecdotes from the book. Okay. So there's so many good ones. It's really embarrassing. Um, when I uh, 
the book uh, sold on proposal and one of the chapter titles was um, how the time I broke my vagina <laughs> and um, it's just a, it's a story in a chapter about my grandmother who is um, Muslim so the chapter is my Muslim grandmother and me and it was a weekend that my parents were out of town and I'm very short so a lot of times when I have to like get something out of a cabinet I have to climb up on the counter I can relate um, and I, this is so gross, um, <laughs> I was on the counter and I jumped down and I didn't realize that the cabinet below me was open, so I jumped can down like Can you feel it? I can feel that. it. Um, I love everyone's reactions. Um, I think I write in the book that if I was a boy, I'd probably be dead. Right. Um, so my grandmother who like didn't speak any English like I was screaming and I hadn't moved I was just like on the counter <laughs> screaming and she came into the kitchen and found me that way and like immediately like started crying and didn't know what to do and then um, where's my aunt my aunt is here oh she called my aunt and my aunt had to come, <laughs> my aunt had to come over and examine my vagina it's what you do <laughs> It was so really embarrassing. Um, I guess not so embarrassing that I didn't include it in a book and didn't decide to share it with all of you. Um, but it was just a, the reason I included it in the book is because uh, there's a lot of tension in my relationship with my grandmother. There was a lot of like cultural differences. There was a lot lost in translation. Um, and it was this moment where, and she lived with us a lot over the course of my childhood and teen years. So there was a lot of like frustration of having her in our space, which as an Iranian, like that's what you do. Like people come and they stay with you for as long as they want and that's supposed to be okay. And I had a lot of trouble with that. Um, but it was a moment where, like, I saw how much she cared about me, and it just, weirdly, this, like, hilarious, gross thing kind of solidified our bond, yeah. and that's why I decided to include it. Okay. And she went on to having babies, so there wasn't permanent yeah. damage, you know. Uh -oh. It works, guys. <laughs> So, you know, there's so many anecdotes like that, super entertaining and heartwarming, but a big part of the book is, you know, is about immigration and um, in this political climate and Trump's stance on immigration. It's really just so relevant right now. And I wondered, um, number one, like, what do you hope, um, what do you hope the book does in terms of educating people? What do you hope that they come away thinking um, about undocumented people and immigration and also... Um, what conversations have you had about your book that have taught you anything about the way that people are viewing immigration now? Um, I think one of the things that I sort of knew going in but has become more clear to me now that people have been reading the book is that um, people don't really realize how challenging it is to become a legal resident of this country. Um, people are oftentimes surprised when I tell them I was two when I moved here and 20 when I was able to get a green card and how long the process is and how expensive and stressful. Um, so I hope that just, just as far as a lot of the misconceptions people have about immigration, particularly because of the current administration. I hope that they see that we're just like anybody else. We were just like a family who loved each other and parents who were just trying to do the best for their kids, um, but that it was just a very strenuous process. Um, you hear a lot of times people are like, well, it's fine, come here, but get your green card before you come here. And that's not easy to do when you're 
living in a country that's in the middle of a war. Um, so just in terms of, I hope, I hope people that read this will have a little bit more empathy for mm -hmm. the experience of being an immigrant and being an undocumented immigrant. Um, I actually talked to, I'm going to introduce them later, but um, we have representatives here from Dream Team LA, and I was uh, talking about the book to one of them, and uh, I was talking about how even when you become, like I'm a citizen now, um, but there's still this weird anxiety that just doesn't leave you. Um, I st there's part of me, like I was just talking to my sister the other day and we were kind of laughing, but we we're like, are we gonna get deported when this book comes out? And I was like, well, if we do, it's probably because the book was really successful because you know it was, it was getting on people's radar. But, um, but it's true and um, Kevin, who I spoke to from Dream Team LA said, you got a piece of paper, but you didn't get peace of mind. So I was like, I'm gonna steal that. That's a great line. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, that anxiety doesn't necessarily leave you just because you've become a citizen. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, to shift slightly. So your parents, um, like many young Iranians of the time, had an arranged marriage, which is unique to, I mean, different from most Americans. Um, and I wondered what you thought of that as a teenager. Um, come here. <laughs> this is my dad, everybody. Yeah. Ali. This is my mom, Shohre. I should, I should also mention that um, they, they met and within a couple of weeks decided to be married and their love story is one of Aww. the most enviable things that I've ever read. I mean, it's so beautiful. So, really you know, in modern dating, you know, in modern dating, you think, well, maybe there's something to it. Maybe we can like create an app that will be more <laughs> successful than Tinder. But you might be onto something. I, now, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think when I was a teenager, I actually didn't... I mean, I knew that their marriage was arranged, but I used to tell people, like, my parents met and fell in love and got married in two weeks. They just, when you know, you know. And, um, but <laughs> I, I did, I mean, and they've always said, too, like, a lot of times when you think arranged marriage, you think they're forced to marry each other, and they've always been pretty adamant about the fact that they were introduced by their parents, which is a lot of what happens in Iran, is, like, the families kind of come together and make an introduction, hoping that the two people will end up together so it wasn't the type of thing where they were forced to get married it was like we think you guys might like each other um and but they did my dad was visiting iran from he went to school at lsu so he was visiting for the summer and um yeah they met and they were both ready and um and after two weeks, they got married, and my mom left Iran about a month later, I think, and moved to Louisiana. Um, she was 19. One of my favorite stories in the book is her father was... Um, Try, ha, he had to do all this paperwork to get her visa to go to America and um, she was hounding him about it like why are you taking so long like he was busy with other things and she kept saying like hurry up get my paperwork done I want to go to America and he looked at her and he said you've been <laughs> sorry he said you've been my daughter for 19 years you've been his wife for a month like settle down why are you in such a hurry to leave us um, but sorry okay um but yeah, it was it was something I was kind of embarrassed about. Like I didn't tell my friends that part of it. Um, but I've heard other people who've had arranged marriages explain. They've explained it to me in the way of like, when Americans get married, their relationship is here, and when you get married and have an arranged marriage, your relationship is here, and you work your way up to that. Yeah. And so I do think that that it can work. I yeah. do think there's something to be said about that. Um, so I don't mean to continue to make you cry, but <laughs> if, um, because really their marriage, I mean, when you read it, it's just, 
it's just amazing. I, I wondered, is there anything about their marriage specifically that you really try to apply in your own marriage? Um, no. Anything to their partnership? <laughs> um, one of the things my mom has always done was like when we were kids we didn't really eat as a family together very much because my dad always worked really late and so and and you she always waited till he got home from work I know I'm giving away all this oh my oh my oh sorry I just that detail was just so wonderful clearly this wasn't rehearsed I'm so kidding. Yeah, so the, she always she always waited for him to have dinner, and they always ate dinner together. And um, so I try and do that with Brian. Like, even if he's going to get home late, like, I never eat without him. Like, just that having that touchstone at night of, like, eating dinner together, even though most of the time we do it in front of the TV. But um, just having, like, that time together, I think, for my mom was, like, more important than her sitting down with us was getting to sit down with him and connecting with my dad at the end of the day. So that's definitely right. something that's stuck with me. Yeah. Um, it's really lovely, those, those bits. I'm a fan. Um, so being that you're writing about your family, your friends, your exes, um, is what was the process in terms of getting their approval and what was their reaction in terms of how you depicted various stories about them? Um, well, everybody that I wrote about that I still communicate with, um, I, I gave them passages from the book that they were in and you know asked for them to approve those passages. And then uh, it was really important to me for my mom and my dad and my brother and sister to read the book and get their approval before anyone else saw it. Because I say it in the book too, but it's as much their story as it is my story. Um, and so I think, especially my sister, and she was one of the first people that she sent me like a really lovely email to tell me how happy she was with everything and um, so that was the most important thing I didn't want to offend anyone I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings um, there are a couple people from like high school like my ex-boyfriend that I'm like I don't talk to him anymore I think we're Facebook friends I'm kind of embarrassed if he reads it there's a guy I had like a huge crush on who takes up a lot like probably too much space in the book and when I posted about the book on Facebook he was like oh my gosh so excited to read it I was like oh, but yeah, most of my family, I had them read it first and just let me know if everything was okay yeah. to keep in there. Very good. Um, so it wasn't until you were in your 20s that you actually finally got citizenship after many, many years. And I just wondered, if that weren't a factor, if, there, if you didn't live all of those years in the, with the fear and uncertainty of being deported, is there anything about your life that you would have done differently? Any decisions, different decisions that you might have made? Um... I think the biggest thing is I would have traveled more. I mean, mm -hmm. we couldn't leave the country. So, like, I didn't study abroad in college. I went to um, NYU summer school because that was, like, the closest I could get to studying abroad. Um, so I guess I would have tried to see more of the world. Um, I didn't get to vote until um, 2008. So it was really hard, especially... Gore Bush and Carrie Bush, those were like really tough elections to not get to vote in. Um, my sister did go to Mexico twice without a green card, but <laughs> with her friends, but I wasn't brave enough to do that. So yeah, I think I just would have been able to see more of the world. Yeah. Um, okay. 
So, you know, everyone has so many memories floating around, stories from their childhood, teen years, all of that. Um, and it's such a unique experience when you have to sit down and create a narrative with all of these um, that has a through line. And I just wondered, when you finished the book, was there anything about your life that you realized by kind of putting them all to paper that you didn't realize before? Anything when I... Wait, can you say that again? Sure. <laughs> so, the, yeah, I don't think we discussed this. Yeah, you... We, I, uh, I, I, I she, she, gave me, she gave me areas. <laughs> so, I just wonder, before you sat down to write the book, you know, here are all these floating stories, mm -hmm. and, you know, you know them, and you've told them before, but by putting them down on paper and creating this narrative and this through line, was there anything when you finished the book that you were like, huh, I never really thought about my life in that way, or I never realized that? I mean, I think... Because I did, in, in so many ways, have, like, a really happy childhood and a lot of just, like, it was filled with a lot of teen, regular teen angst. Mm -hmm. um, I think just seeing our, the through line of our immigration story made me realize, it really made me realize how much it impacted my parents. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times as a teenager, you're thinking about yourself and how things are impacting you and how hard things were on me. Um, and then when I got to see the big picture of it, I was like, God, this must have been so excruciating for my mom and dad. Um, just, just in terms of like the emotional turmoil that they were probably in, but it was also really tough on them financially too. Um, you know, for instance, like if you're undocumented, you can't apply for financial aid to go to college. So they basically had to pay for my sister's education and my education in full, and that was a huge strain on them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely walked away from the experience really grateful for all the sacrifices that they made. So, thanks, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess this will be the final question, and then we'll open it up to the audience for any questions that you might have. Um, the 90s, uh, which only happened like 10 years ago, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so old. Um, you know, it's almost like a character in this book. Um, obviously, you know, related quite a bit. Um, and I wondered, is there anything, any fad that you wish from the 90s came back? So many feds! I was just telling my friends that the 90s, I think, is the best decade ever, and it sounds like such an old person thing to say, but I feel like it's the last like super idyllic time. It was pre-9-11. Mm -hmm. You could still go to the gate at the airport without a boarding pass. Um, There's no Facebook. There was hardly any internet yet. There was no iPhones. The music was really good. The fashion was really good. The movies were good. Um, come on, Emily. We can we can debate this. Um, I wouldn't say Doc Martens, but my sister told me today that they are back in style. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rock, yeah. Rock those Doc yeah. Martens. Yeah. Um, but I also really enjoyed the fad. I don't know if anyone, any other ladies did this, but wearing nylons or tights under cutoffs. Ah. Cut off jean shorts because I don't really like to show my legs, but I really like cut off. So if I could bring that fad back, I would. You, you could. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could I be could. a trendsetter. Yeah, you heard it here first. It's back. <laughs> um, does anyone have any questions? All right. Who's your favorite cousin? Oh, <laughs> it's a loaded question. That's my cousin. Clearly, the one who asked the question is my favorite cousin. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of cousins here. Everyone actually, it seems like I know a lot of people. They're all my cousins. So, did you enjoy the experience of writing this book more than your first 
Um, I think it was easy. I found this experience much easier um, because I knew it was just figuring out what stories I wanted to tell. It wasn't figuring out the stories. Um, I think fiction was a little bit more challenging just in terms of like plotting and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I used to I used to have a blog that I don't keep up very much called The Blow Off. <laughs> And it was all like relationship stories and breakup stories and I have a lot of fun like getting to share it's so I feel like it sounds so narcissistic, but getting to share an experience and then having other people say like I felt the same way. Like there's some there there's a connection there I think you have with nonfiction that you don't have as much with fiction. So I would like to do this more. Um, so yes. <laughs> uh, you could choose, but one we'll go ahead. What made you I don't know if you guys can hear in the back, but what made her decide to become a writer? Um, well, I was always like a storyteller when I was a little kid. Um, before I could write, like I, my parents shared the story, but I had like um, a little notebook that I just made loops because that's what I thought cursive looked like. And then it, I had a story that like anytime people would come over, I'd be like, oh, I wrote this book. I want to tell you about it. And I, but I would tell it exactly the same every time. So I think there's a part of me that always wanted to be a storyteller. But there's a section in the book about when I was 15, I really wanted to be an actress. I feel like everybody goes through that phase. And I took, um, I made my poor dad who like worked six days a week on his day off drive me to San Francisco for acting classes. And then um, while I was in acting classes, I realized I was terrible at acting. And I also realized it's not fun to do things you're not good at. So I decided <laughs> to focus more on writing. And then, um, yeah, took the executive path for a while and then was always writing on the side. Uh, you sir in the back. <laughs> That's a really good question. I hadn't thought about that, but now I'm going to be the best mom ever. <laughs> God. Is Sarah going to sign, uh, send a signed copy to Mr. President? Fuck that guy. <laughs> that guy can pay for a copy. <laughs> I will say that, uh, the hardest part about doing like some of the revisions, because so much of everything that was going on politically, we had to go back and like change things. And at w one part of the book, I had written like how amazing it was to get to vote for the first female president, and then I had to write first presidential female presidential nominee. And then it, it was so painful to have to go back and write President Trump it was bluff. so yeah. Uh, over in the corner. Yeah, I definitely found out a lot, especially about my grandmothers um, and my uncle who passed away went before I was born. Um, 
that was part of the motivation too is like um, seeing my parents and my aunts and uncles getting a little older and like really realizing that there are so many questions about our family that I hadn't asked them yet. Um, a lot of the book too has excerpts from my diaries from high school and that was really interesting because like you remember things a certain way and then I would find the entry about that thing and remember and realize that it happened actually a little differently. Um, so that helped keep me a little bit accurate and honest about how things relate took place. Um, yeah, I did always have the title Americanized when I, uh, when the proposal went out, that's what it was called. Um, and the cover actually, um, they sent me a completely different cover uh, initially and it felt a little bit, I mean the book is a young adult memoir and it's geared, the, the writing is geared toward teen readers, um, but it felt a little bit juvenile the way the cover looked and it was the same idea with me sitting in a chair but the design was completely different. And so they decided to age it up a little bit and then I'd actually asked them to incorporate mosaics because it is something that's very iconic to being Iranian and so yeah they, and then that's what they sent me. So you don't get that much input in the cover, but thank you. Go ahead. Um, darling, first of all, I'm so <laughs> young, proud of you. Um, and I want to ask you, you know, I was thinking about my, and I was thinking about your whole family. <laughs> this is my cousin. I don't know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> super weird. I don't know why you were thinking about my family. I don't know you. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking how amazingly you all, you kids all turned out, how successful you are, how wonderful you are, and you know, now in the perspective of all that you've been through and all, how hard it was, you know, what happened there? What happened that in, in despite all the stress and the tension, all the things, besides just the, you know, this particular green card issue, and, you know, um, that whole issue that you guys turned out, and I, I was thinking in my head, my, my two answers were like, A, your parents always seem to love each other so much, and B, that they seem to just let you guys just kind of, you, the three of you guys, I mean her and her sister and brother, kind of just grow and individuate into your own beings without really any pressure, and was I right or... I'm, I'm this asking, is really, this is really interesting for someone who doesn't know us, you really know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was definitely my parents, but also I should add that, like, none of us got deported. We did, like, the situation did end up resolving itself. Um, so I think that was a big part of it is we did, I mean, there was a lot of scary moments towards the end, but we did, we were lucky, we were really lucky that we did end up getting green cards and we did all become citizens. A lot of people are having the opposite experience right now. Um, so I think that was a really huge part of it. And I think too, like I, I say in the book, uh, in the portion that I read, like my dad was like, no, it's fine, everything's fine, don't worry about it. I think that was always like his attitude when we were growing up and I think that, I don't think he really felt that way, but I think that helped us stay calm. Go ahead. You talked about remembering things differently when you were reading your diary. I'm not sorry, it's my way. <laughs> so, was there anything, in, and you also talked about kind of consulting with your family, getting their approval for passages, was there anything, like any stories or instances that you consulted with them or like collective memory and that actually when you talked to them about it, they corrected you or actually went differently than you yeah, one of the things I needed like a lot of clarity on was um, 
a lot of people don't know this, but if you apply for a green card, they've changed the law a little bit now, but um, we applied through my uncle. Um, well, this actually still applies, but if one of your kids turns 21 before you actually get a green card, they call it aging out, and that means they've aged out of the application and they essentially have to start completely from scratch. And they've changed it now where, because the wait times are so long, that if you are applying through a parent, they, that you won't age out. But if you are applying through like a sibling, like we did through my mom's brother, it still applies. Um, so my sister was literally like a week away from aging out of our application when we ended up getting, uh, when she ended up getting a green card. And that, that was a crazy time because it was literally like down to the wire. And she was away at school, so she had no idea any of it was happening. And just having to really like talk to my parents and say, because I didn't, I mean, it's so sad how much of my diary entries were about boys and what I bought at the mall. Um, so I didn't have that much information on it. I remembered it, but I wanted to know like the exact play-by-play. -play. So that was really helpful to talk to my parents about. Hi. I'm curious, what advice do you have? Because I would think you're a role model for undocumented teens that are now dealing with anxiety. <coughs> These are different times. What words of advice do you have for them? Or if you speak to them, what do you say in this day and age? Yeah, it's hard because um, I did, grow, like, growing because the 90s were so amazing, guys. Um, it was a different person was the president. Yeah, it, was a, it wasn't as scary as it is now, I think. Um, there is a, towards the end of the book, there's, like, concrete advice that I give that I consulted with an immigration lawyer for, like, s certain things, like, if an ICE agent knocks on your door, you don't have to let them in unless they slip a search warrant under the door. Like, certain things like that that I feel like people need to just know their rights. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to, you know, give advice without, with things being so unpredictable right now. Um, but essentially, it's just like, keep hope alive. It sounds so cheesy, but I feel like that was a big part of it for my family is just like, stay hopeful and, I mean... Don't break the law either because that is the fastest way they're trying to get people out of the country. They say criminals, but it's like a simple DUI could get you deported. So you just have to be extra careful too, unfortunately. Sounds kind of bleak, but. <laughs> oh, hold on. <laughs> Jihan? <laughs> Yeah, it was a little challenging. Like, there's a section where I talk about, like, one of the worst fights I had with my parents, and that was probably the part that I felt like I needed to be really honest, but I didn't want to make them relive some, uh, relive an experience that was hard for all of us. Um, I just felt like in, in order to... I don't know, I felt like it would be a cop-out to write it and not be honest about everything, so I tried to be as honest as possible, and there's a lot of, like, super, super embarrassing diary excerpts, but I decided, like, I have to include them because that's the things that I was worried about. So I feel like, for the most part, except for stuff that I felt like um, just didn't feel... I didn't feel right telling it because it like for instance like I had a cousin who came out of the closet to our family and it was kind of 
a difficult time to see how the older generation responded to that versus the younger generation in our family. And it has a happy ending. We were all at his wedding a few years ago. Um, but that was something that I was like, that's really his story. So that was the challenge more, less about being honest, but like what was really appropriate for me to write about. We'll take one more question. Um, the stripes. Nobody in the iZombie writer's room would ever say anything. <laughs> We're vicious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've specifically ever had the experience of somebody saying something without them knowing that I was an immigrant, but you definitely hear a lot of like, well, you're already here. You don't, that's okay that you're already here. It's like all the other people. And I think for me, uh, it doesn't matter that I'm already here like I went through that experience and I feel like I have so much empathy for people that are currently going through it um, and so that's really like I I guess this book is sort of my response to that is like you you don't have the opportunity to really explain to somebody like exactly how hard it was so and I don't know maybe the book is preaching to the choir like maybe no one's going to read it that hates immigrants but um, I hope that it like teaches some empathy and it um, makes people realize um, how challenging it is I'll, I'll share an anecdote actually because like um, I had this amazing conversation with my mother-in-law on the drive over here and um, she was somebody that like grew up in a really small town, um, probably wasn't exposed to many immigrants, definitely wasn't exposed to many Iranians until Brian and I um, started dating. And she said on the phone while I was here, she's like, this book is, this is, these are her words, not mine, so I feel okay sharing them. Um, she just said it's, it's awe-inspiring for people who are going through this and for people who have gone through this to see how hard it is. And that really meant a lot to me because I know that she hasn't had the exposure. And so I hope that more people like her read it and realize like, wow, this is, this is a really difficult thing and I should have more empathy for people that are going through it. Yeah. Thank you. Really quick. No, 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 no. Um, I want to, we're not done yet, sorry. I, I know everyone's really eager to eat food and drink some champagne, but um, I really wanted to uh, introduce Dream Team LA, who is here tonight. Um, Kevin is going to say a few words. Um, I, they are a group that uh, does a ton of advocacy for DACA and they have a table back there with pamphlets and they're taking donations if anyone feels compelled to give. Um, but I really wanted them to have the last word this evening. So Kevin, please. Thank you everyone. Um, uh, my name is Kevin Solis. I'm with Dream Team Los Angeles. Uh, Dream Team LA is a group of undocumented youth activists who are advocating for immigration reform. So let me unpack that for you. Undocumented youth people, such as Sara, who came to the country uh, by their parents, usually without papers, or uh, visa overstays, or otherwise in this country without papers. And um, we've been uh, advocating for immigration reform for several years now. And um, 
as I see your family here, it's so interesting. I, I commented to you that after reading the book, I wasn't sure how much I knew about you, but I knew everything about your family. You know, Kia and Sammy, the original rebel without a green card, and your parents. And, and it's so important that the, the media calls us dreamers, but you have to remember that it's your parents that are the original dreamers, the ones that took a chance to flee a country in turmoil. Uh, they didn't speak the language. They came here for a better life. There were reasons they had to leave their country. And so these people are the original dreamer, the parents. There are two members uh, of Dream Team LA here who are DACA recipients. We have Jose, we have Berenice, we have our, thank you. Oh, and we have Liliana, thank you. Uh, we have a table back there with some stickers we made, and you can ask us information about our advocacy, and I have some videos of uh, activisms we did. I'll tell you really quickly um, that when uh, Sara contacted me through our website, I don't think she knew that we were the group that was behind uh, DACA and DAPA. So the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which lets people apply for a temporary deferment of status, that was a, a policy that we wrote. That was a policy that we challenged President Obama with. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and we called it administrative relief at the time. We really cornered President Obama, and a lot of people think it's something he did. He was really pressured in his 2012 election. We then advocated for the policy of DAPA, which was for parents. That was uh, not enforced because it went to the Supreme Court and got tied up in a 4-4 decision when the Republicans held a Supreme Court nomination hostage for over a year. But um, what we're doing right now, we have a fight for a clean DREAM Act, which would allow young people brought to the country, as undocumented, a pathway to a citizenship, because right now there is no pathway to citizenship uh, for a lot of them. And so we want this bill to be free of a border wall that no one wants. We want it free from ending family-based migration, which is what you use to get status, so you wouldn't be here if there was no family-based migration. And we do not want to end the visa lottery, which ensures that people from, excuse me, shithole countries are allowed to come to America. This is the American dream, so you can join us on our advocacy. And again, I want to thank Sara uh, for having us here and um, hosting us. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone for coming. I know it's really hard. It's a Tuesday night and it's just really nice to see so many friendly, lovely faces. I love you guys. And um, thank you Talia for being amazing. And let's once again thank Sarah for her wonderful work. So yeah, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.